closing out a season. We do things in seasons here, not just series, but seasons. And we've been in this season called Summer R&R. That's Reformation and Revival, that, that God wants us to return to Scripture. That's a Reformation. And Revival is what he does by his Spirit in our spirits. And I, I love the fact we had Pastor TJ, had a, a guest, a friend of mine here preaching last week, and I didn't tell him what to preach about. I just love the way the Holy Spirit works, how he was preaching on worship, because I had planned on preaching the last two weekends in August on worship, not as a series, just I wanted to leave it open for what God would want to do, and that, that's how God works. He knows what he wants to get in people's life, and so he gave us that message. And what Pastor TJ started with, I'm going to stick with. And uh, like I said, it's not a, a formal series, but I want to stay on this topic of worship. And I believe it's really going to set the stage, not just for what God wants to do in your life with what's next, but for what God will do in your hearts tonight at our worship night. There's something so powerful when we come together as a church with the mission and the, the purpose to glorify God, that he would be lifted up, that he would inhabit our praises and uh, if, if you're kind of new to church, or not a church person, you're still going to receive from this word today. So let's take a look at John chapter 11. I'm going to read a good chunk of scripture. And if you have your Bible, I always encourage you to bring your Bible to church. That way, you know, I'm not just making stuff up. But we are going to put the scriptures on the screen so we can all follow along together. And John chapter 11 is a very pivotal point in the gospel of John. Where we're going to read it, it sets up all the events that are going to follow John chapter 11. Because it's shortly after this miracle, encounter, revival that we're going to read about that Jesus observes Passover with his disciples. That's where he's betrayed, which ultimately leads him to the cross and his resurrection. And so as we get into this passage, rather than just give you the context of everything that's going on up front, I want to jump in and let John do it for himself because he's great at letting us know the details. John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. Now, Mary and Martha are going to be very important to this story later on. But the first thing you have to know is the reason he mentions Mary and Martha is because John's writing his gospel after Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. Those would have already been in circulation. He's assuming that you're already familiar with Mary and Martha because they're mentioned in those gospels. And Mary and Martha would have been well-known figures who were close to the ministry of Jesus, who were contributors and supporters to his ministry. And so he says, you probably know them. Well, Lazarus was her brother. Now, verse 2 says, Now it was Mary who anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and wiped his feet dry with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, this has not happened yet. This is a preview of coming events. And I, I like John. You can tell he's a preacher because when he writes his gospel, particularly in this chapter, he gives so many parenthetical statements that he has to let you know all the context of what's happened. It's like, oh, I want to tell you this, but you got to know this detail about this first. And you're going to see that as we read on. It says, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not lead to death, but to God's glory. So that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha 
and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he remained in the place where he was for two more days. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples replied, Rabbi, the Jewish leaders were just now trying to stone you to death. That's what happened earlier. Are you going to go there again? Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks around in the daytime, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks around at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after he said this, he added, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. And the disciples replied, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had been talking about his death, but they thought he was talking about real sleep. So I love this next part. Jesus told him plainly, look, Lazarus is died. He, he's died. Do I, do I have to explain everything to you? I know I was speaking in a metaphor, but I'm just trying to soften the blow. He's dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And that's really all I want to read for the point of this message. But I do want to read the next verse just because it's funny to me. Because uh, it says, so Thomas, his friends called him Diddy. They, they, said, to his, they said to his fellow disciples, he said... Listen to this. Well, let's go too so that we may die with him. Like how many have a friend like that? Just always sees the bright side. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to die. Thanks a lot, Lord. But that's where they, they wanted to stone you, but we'll be along for the journey. So um, don't point at your Lazarus friends or your, your, your Thomas friends. But I want to talk to you today about the way to revival. Because Jesus leaves where he is in Jerusalem to head to Bethany to bring about a revival in the life of this guy named Lazarus. But since this is my favorite service, yeah, I'm going to, I really shouldn't say that. The nine o'clock are not going to like that. I'm going to give you the second title. This is the real title. Nine o'clock didn't get this. Okay. So I, I, the real title of this, this message is a message in motion, a message in motion. Because Jesus, the word of God, the word, comes to bring a word to Lazarus when he needs it. So Jesus is on his way to raise up Lazarus. And spoiler alert, he does it. Okay, if you haven't read this story, he gets there, calls Lazarus by name. He comes out. It's a miracle. And this is the last miracle of Jesus' public ministry in John's gospel. It's the last in a series of miracles that points to him as the Messiah, points to his power over death and over sin. And it's written really just like John talked about Mary is going to later anoint Jesus' feet and with perfume and wipe them with her hair. This whole passage that we're reading it is really a teaser trailer for what Jesus is going to do through his own life, through his own death, through his own burial, and through his own resurrection. And I've preached this message multiple times, even just in the 12 years of uh, almost 12 of us as a church. I've preached it many times, and uh, uh, probably half a dozen even just here. And, and uh, I've noticed, you know, like 
this is one of those passages that you can read it in one season of your life and God will minister something to you. And then you can be in a completely different season of your life and God will speak something completely different to you because the word of God is alive and active and he knows what you need when you need it and it'll be fresh. And I, I just noticed like this passage has been so famously preached that if you've been around church at all, you, you've heard this story. Now we have a lot of people that didn't grow up in church, have not been around church. And even today might be one of your first times in church. I'm so glad you're here. We, we, we designed this church with you in mind, but there's also a number of us that grew up in church and We've heard this story, like you can't be around church and not be familiar with it. And it's, it's been so famously preached. There's just certain things that you're always going to hear about whenever you hear the story of Lazarus. Like one of the main things that you are always going to come away with whenever you read the story is that the God we serve is a miracle worker. I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, like, you can't preach about a dead man coming to life without getting to the fact that God is a miracle worker. Okay, now let me help just some of you with that, okay? Because when I say God is a miracle worker, that's your opportunity to say, yes, amen, that's right. So let's try it again. God is a miracle worker. Okay, okay, I know this, that's like half of you. The rest of you are, are learning. It's okay, we're going to have some fun. The, the reason I'm pushing on you just a little bit to respond is because there are many of us in the room that forget that whenever we get into a place like this, there are some people around us that do not have the privilege of your experience and your history with God. And they come into church and we gather. There are people who don't know, like you know, that God is a miracle worker. <laughs> and so when you come into a place like this, and someone opens up their mouth and says, God's a miracle worker? You better make sure you're sitting next to somebody who's responding. I, I don't know if you know this. Scripture says, Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What that means, if, if God has been faithful in your life, if he has redeemed your life from the pit, if he has saved your soul, if he has healed your body, if he has met your need, if he has brought you peace, you better say something about it. <laughs> See, we're, we're, we're living in the day where we don't get the pleasure of just playing what I call patty cake church. Nice little church. Got to come to church and sing my songs and check the box that I, I came to church today. Kind of church. Because every week we gather, there are some people God is sending to us who need help, who need hope, who, who are looking for truth, 
whose backs are up against the wall, who are desperate for a miracle, and God help them if they get to church and they sit next to some tired Christian who forgot that God has been faithful in their life. You don't know who's sitting next to you. I know you came in here and there's like, there's people that they look the part, right? They're looking good. They're not in their pajamas. <laughs> some, some of you are, but they look the part. They sang the songs. They, they know the words. They lifted their hands. But I'm telling you, there are people in your row who need a touch from God. There are people you could reach right now in arm's length of you. They need to know that God works, that he heals. Because right now they are thinking if God doesn't fix it, it's not gonna be fixed. If God doesn't turn it around, it's not gonna turn around. If God doesn't make a way, there's not gonna be a way. And sometimes we come into this place and we just think, hey, it is on the preacher. It's on the pastor, it's on the platform, it's on the worship team to make it happen, to fill the room, to build the atmosphere. But do you know that you have a responsibility in setting the atmosphere in this room? All right, let me, let me show it to you. Because see, I was talking to our team a few weeks back in our, our huddle. We do a little huddle before service starts. And we were doing our, our popcorn and movie series. So I was out there hanging with them. And I talked about, hey, when I pray, when I pray, I want you praying. Don't just be there silent praying. I want you praying. You know, in Acts chapter 4, it says that the church, they were being persecuted by the government officials. The church lifted up their voice together. So when I'm praying, I need you praying. And then I said, you know, it's not just the fact of what I, I bring to it. It's what everybody brings to it collectively. There, there's this story in Mark chapter 2. In Mark, Jesus is preaching. He's working miracles. He, he's changing lives. He's He's teaching people are coming all around to listen to him. And it tells a story about this group of guys who brought their friend to Jesus. Now, what's funny is the story doesn't tell us if this guy even wanted to come to Jesus. It doesn't tell us, like he said, hey, if I can get there, I can get a miracle. It just says that this guy was paralyzed and four friends brought him to Jesus. Now, let me just read this to you. It's in Mark 2, verse 3. It says, so some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Their faith, the friend's faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So see, it's not just Jesus, it's not just the man. It was the friends that were close to him. Now what's, the other thing is interesting, I don't know if you notice. It said they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. So see, the crowd prevented the miracle, but the people close to him brought the miracle. And I'm trying to help you see that you can be in a place in your life where you are so hurt, so depressed, so frustrated that you don't even feel like you've got a praise in your mouth. That's when you need the people next to you to lift up their voice and say, God can do it. You, you can't just look at the people on the platform to praise God for you. You need some people next to you. You, you need somebody to build faith in the room 
who's going to realize that the God we serve is a miracle worker. But that's not my message today. It's just one of the things you hear when you read the story of Lazarus. See, when you read the story of Lazarus, you, uh, you're always going to get this understanding that God has his own timetable. Have you ever noticed that before? I, I don't know if you saw this when I read it earlier. But the news of Lazarus' sickness didn't speed Jesus up. And the news of his death didn't slow him down. That's because God moves on his own time. And if I'm honest with you, I don't like that part about God. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in churches where they would say things like, God is never late, but he is always on time. I don't know, sometimes it feels late to me. Sometimes when he finally does show up, I'm like, God, where have you been? Have you not heard my prayers? Do you not see my situation? Do you not know what I'm going through right now? But God has his own timetable. And the thing about timing is that timing can be awkward because each of us have to live in our own season. Now, I, I know, like, we talk about seasons at church. I said we are wrapping up our season, summer R&R, the end of a season. Next week, we're kicking off a new season. I'm really pumped to share it with you. But, like, we do a season corporately as a church where we talk about this is what we're believing God for. This is what we're focused on. This is what we're leaning into. This is what we're praying about. That's our season. We have a season at church corporately, but the reality is all of us have to live in our own individual season. And I don't know if you've ever been in that awkward place, awkward space, where you're happy about what's happening to someone else, but you're discouraged about what's happening for you. You ever been there? See, God has his own time, and there's sometimes where some of us, we are in a season of expansion, and some of us are in a season of reduction. And if you get this today, this will help you, because life is not always up and to the right. I, I know that grates against our American mindset. We just, it's increase and more and better and faster and stronger. But life is not always up and to the right. Scripture says there's a time and a purpose for everything. There's a time to gather stones. There's time to cast away stones. There, there's a time to plant. And there's a time to pluck up what was planted. There, there's a time to bulk. There's a time to cut. That's the Jim Rats translation. There, there, there's different times and different seasons of your life. And I'm, I'm just trying to help you see that both are necessary for your development. Just because your season doesn't look like what you think it should look like doesn't mean that God isn't using it to work his purpose in your life. So understand this about following God is that sometimes the path is marked with hardship. 
And that doesn't mean that you did something wrong. Doesn't mean that God is mad at you. Sometimes your season is not expansion. Sometimes your season is endurance. Not every day with God is a breakthrough. Sometimes the days are just get through. But when you can get to a place where you recognize, hey, I'm not at my best right now, but I'm still going to make it through. I'm telling you, it'll serve all of us when we learn this lesson that there are hard things about following God. And it doesn't mean that God's upset with you or you've done something wrong. And I see this because Lazarus was sick and Jesus didn't come. And Lazarus died and it seemed like Jesus didn't care. But Jesus had some information that other people didn't have. Because once he got there, it didn't matter that Lazarus had died. Once he got there, it didn't matter that he had been dead for four days already. Once he got there, it didn't matter that people didn't understand everything that was happening because God's timetable is not your timetable. But that's not my message either. See, you find out, you find out when you read the story of Lazarus that it's often the things you wish you never had to experience that produce the greatest revelation of God's character. It's the things you go through that you never would have wished to go through that can really show you who God is. And there's this interesting moment in this passage where Jesus shows up and Martha, say Martha, Martha. it's always Martha. Martha, she, she doesn't even wait for Jesus to get to the house. She meets him in the street and starts giving him the business. I can just see it. She's got her hand on her hip. Says, Lord, let's just read it. Let's just read it. She, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever said something like that to God? Like just told him how you really feel? Like, God, if you would have come through in this moment, God, why did you let this happen? God, how could this be? He says, but I, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I was like, hey, your brother's going to be okay. It's all good. It's all right. And she says, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Like, I know it's going to be okay. I know it'll eventually be all right. I'm talking about right now. And Jesus says, who do you think? You're talking to. Who do you think has the power to resurrect in the last day? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. See, pain has a way of revealing what you really believe. And Jesus used this painful experience that she wished she could have avoided to demonstrate a part of his character that she never knew before. God wants you to know that you can trust him not just one day, someday, eventually, in the future, ultimately. God wants you to know 
that you can trust him right now. And the beauty of this gift, and I know it sounds strange to call pain a gift, but the beauty of this gift is that no one can take away from you what you have already experienced for yourself. You go through something, you own it. It's a interesting thing talking about summer reformation revival because I could really summarize that by saying, hey, we want to be a church that is Bible-based and spirit-led. That's what it is, Bible-based, spirit-led. Now, you can't just be spirit-led because you need to be anchored in some truth, and God's word is truth. But the other side of it, if you just focus on Bible-based, I mean, I'm just going to study scripture, you miss out on the fact that God is not a subject to be studied. He is a person to relate to, to know, and to experience. I was talking this Friday to a kid, uh, recently moved here, and uh, just getting to know his story, college student. And he said, hey, tell me a little bit how you came to faith in Christ, and did you grow up in church? Tell me about your family. He's like, no, I, I didn't grow up in church at all. Matter of fact, my family, I, I grew up in an abusive family. I don't really have a relationship with my parents. I was like, well, how'd you, how'd you come to faith in Christ? Like, well, when I was in high school, somebody invited me to church and it was through coming to church. I came a few times, but I got to tell you, I know it's kind of weird, but I had, I had this experience with the Holy Spirit. I had never felt love like what I felt in that church. And that's how I gave my life to Christ. I had an experience of love from God. And, and what I'm trying to help you see is that when you experience the reality of God's faithfulness, when you experience the reality of God's goodness, when you experience the reality of God's love in your life, it doesn't matter what goes on around you. Nobody can talk you out of what you have experienced. The problem is sometimes we don't experience something until something dies in our life. And it could be a dream, it could be a hope, it could be an opportunity, it could just be an expectation. But when we come to a place where we know no matter what I am going through, God is still good. We, we've got to get to the place where we're not praising God based on how good I am, but our praise is based off of how good God is. God, you, you've been too good to me for me to sit here with my arms crossed and act like I don't know how good you are. God, you have been too good to me for me to let somebody keep my mouth shut. Let a circumstance keep my mouth shut. Keep, let, let a trial or a pressure turn me into a complainer. Because it is only after you experience a hardship that you wish you wouldn't have gone through and you are on the other side of it and you see how good God is that you can actually know life might be hard, but God is good.
but that's not my message today. See, for you to understand what I'm talking about, you got to understand a few things. First thing you got to understand is where this passage is placed in Scripture. It is at the very literary center of the Gospel of John. It is like the hinges that a door swings on as the rest of the Gospel is going to move on this narrative. To understand what I'm talking to you about today, you have to understand the geographical placement of this location because Bethany, well, Bethany is not that significant. Beth, Bethany, the only thing Bethany is known for is the fact that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are from there. Bethany is not a significant place. Jerusalem, where Jesus is, that's the place. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is where the people are at. Jerusalem is where the money is. Jerusalem is where the opportunities are. Jerusalem is where the action is. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you feel like where you are is where it is not. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's what it feels like for Bethany. Where it is, is Jerusalem. Where they are, is Bethany. Jerusalem is where it's at. Bethany, it's like Topeka. And I'm just saying, nobody wants to go there. But, oh, come on. All right. I'm trying to say, don't let that be your biggest clap. Come on. Jerusalem's where you want to be, but, but they're in Bethany. But to understand my message, it's not just the placement of the scripture. It's not just the geographical location. You got to understand the, the, the characteristics of these people. Because there is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary is a worshiper. Every time we see her, she's worshiping. She's the one who is going to be kneeling at Jesus' feet, pouring oil on them, washing them with her tears and with her hair. Mary is a worshiper. Martha? Martha is a servant. Every time we see Martha, she is cooking something. She is working on something. She is preparing something. She is planning something. Martha is a servant. Lazarus? Lazarus didn't do anything. <laughs> he, the most notable thing about Lazarus is how unnotable he is. He... The only time we see his name mentioned in Scripture is in John 11 and John 12. He, he's not known for anything else except Jesus performing a miracle in his life. He doesn't have a shining personality. He doesn't have any crowning achievements. He's not even a disciple of Jesus. That's Lazarus. But to understand a little bit about Lazarus, you've got to know, and this is hard for people to swallow, but you've got to know, like, Jesus... Like your parents, he has favorites. Some of you didn't know that about your parents. It's because you're not the favorite. But Jesus, he, he's, he's, it's true. Just take the hit and move on. It's, and Jesus has favorites. It's hard for us to grasp because we forget, like, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was fully man. Jesus got tired. We see him sleeping on a boat. We see him finding a secluded place to rest. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. He was fully man. He fasted for 40 days. It says he was hungry. And in fact, if you track with Jesus, you see that he is always 
eating. He's always around a table. He's always got, there's always a party with food where Jesus is at. He got hungry because he got tired, because he got hungry. Can I tell you? He also got tired of people. You see this in Scripture. He says one time to his disciples, he says, how long do I have to put up with you? That is in the Bible. I like the King James Version because he says, how long must I suffer with you? Have you ever felt that way? I feel that way about some of you. How long <laughs> must I suffer with you? Don't, I'm not going to point you out. I'm just going to stare at you. Right. But Jesus, he got tired of people. I think this is why he would preach from a boat sometimes. He would preach from a boat and then he'd be done. He'd like, Peter, let's get out of here. Where do you want to go, Lord? Just go to the other side. Just as, as, as far away from here as possible. Just get me away from these people. But, but Jesus, he got tired of people. And when he got tired of people, he would hang with the disciples. And when he got tired of the disciples, Diddy, Thomas in particular, he would hang with Peter, James, and John. But when he got tired of Peter, James, and John, he wanted to hang with Lazarus. Lazarus was his boy. Lazarus was his guy. We know from this chapter, it says he loved Lazarus three times. Twice he calls him his friend. Jesus loved Lazarus. But that's not why he went from Jerusalem to Bethany. Because if that's why he went, he would have gone sooner. So it wasn't the closeness of the relationship. And this is what I want you to see. Because it's this question, what causes God to move? It's a message in, in motion. What are the factors that would bring Jesus from Jerusalem back to Bethany where people want to kill him? Well, it wasn't because of the miracle. He could have done miracles in Jerusalem. It wasn't because of the need, because the need didn't speed him up or slow him down. It wasn't because of the pain, because Jesus didn't try to stop it or apologize for it. What is it that will draw God from where he is and cause him to move into your situation and into your life? I saw it, and I want to share it with you because there is one thing that we need to know about Lazarus. He had a unique quality in this chapter that nobody else had. I'm going to read in verse 3. It says, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not lead to death, but to God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, it wasn't his care, his concern, or his relationship with Lazarus that caused him to move. It was something else. And this, this is my message today, is that God moves when he knows he'll get glory. You want to know what God is attracted to? God is attracted to someone that will worship, someone that will serve, and someone that will let their life be used for God's glory. And our problem is many times we want to find a church that ministers to us, but what we really need is to build a church 
that ministers to Jesus. Because if Jesus can find a place where somebody will worship and somebody will serve and somebody will give God the glory due his name, God will visit that house and bring revival. And I, I, know, I know for some of you that might seem a little much because you're, you're thinking, man, I'm looking at my life and I'm not a worshiper. I'm not serving God right now. I, my life is not reflecting God's glory. That's why I was encouraged by this part of the text. Verse three says, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. Sick simply means not well. The reality is all of us, all of us have some places in our life that are not well. I don't know what that place is for you. It could be a relationship, could be in your family, could be in your mind, could be in your soul, could be in your, your thinking, your desires, in your habits, in your priorities. You've got some things that are not well. That's why it's good news when I read, Lord, the one you love is sick. I know none of us wanna call ourselves sick, but I'm happy that God loves some sick people. And just like the sisters sent a message to Jesus, I wanna send a message to you that you don't have to be well for God to love you. And you don't have to be right to experience God's love for you. But if you want to move, you want God to move in your life, you want to experience revival. Revival is just something coming alive. I want to feel again, God. I, I, I want to hope again, God. I want to believe again, God. I, I want to trust again, God. I, I, I want to know you. I, I don't want to walk through this life in this way where I'm dead on the inside. God, I, I, I want to come alive. If that's you, Start so simply, acknowledging him. Ultimately, that's what worship is, to acknowledge him in his rightful place as Lord. If you will acknowledge him, say, God, my life is at your service. I wanna serve you. Let my life glorify you. If you can do something like that, God will come in and visit your house with revival.